Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with episode 241 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we have a loaded show for you. Not only do we have an ultimate preview of NXT War Games, the first non-takeover pay-per-view from this new edition of NXT, we are also here to break down everything that happened this week in AEW. So a loaded show, plenty to talk about today, the second of three shows this week, more on that in a minute before we get into our schedule, before we get into the show, folks. I didn't do it at the start of Tuesday's show, so allow me to do it here. That is, remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave those five-star ratings and reviews, let people know how much you love this podcast, tell them why they should listen and why they should subscribe. I also want to give shout outs to many of you who have been tweeting at me, uh, screenshots, links, whatever, to your Spotify wrapped, which as I'm not, I don't use Spotify, so I didn't really know exactly what it was, but apparently it tells you what you listen to most over the year, both in terms of like artists for music and things like that and podcasts. So I'm getting a lot of screenshots, getting over is your top podcast, top five, see a couple where I'm behind Bill Simmons. I mean, I guess I'll accept that, you know, if I have to. Uh, But no, I I really appreciate you guys obviously listening to the show, but to such a degree that I'm your number one, number two, you know, in a couple cases, number three uh, podcast of the year. That is, it just means a lot to me. Um, It means that what we're doing here matters to people, right? Uh, That hopefully it means that we're doing a good job. And my hope Uh, Beyond that is that as 2021 concludes and as 2022 opens, uh, we continue to grow and move forward and and get bigger because the the goal of this podcast is to get to the point where, hey, maybe the Silver King can make a couple shekels off of it, right? Maybe I can uh, afford some dog food uh, from from the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. That would be fantastic. But even to this point, uh, I appreciate all of your guys' support, not just your listening ship, your listenership. Financially, you guys helped me get some equipment for the show. You've supported our hosting fees. All that stuff means a lot. It's really important. And as I try to do every week, the goal is to pay you back through professional wrestling audio. So yeah, uh, it's a busy week. Uh, Not only do we have the WWE episode that we published on Tuesday, make sure you go back and listen to that if you have not. Not only today do we have the NXT Ultimate Preview and AEW episode. On Sunday, I was remiss. I didn't mention it earlier in the week. On Sunday, as soon as NXT War Games goes off the air, as usual, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast will be here with instant analysis of this very unique NXT show that we are going to talk a lot more about momentarily. So a three-episode week uh, to kick off a busy month of December. I'll tell you, there's some things the Silver King's working on. A couple year-end wrap-up interviews. I know I haven't really gotten to the interviews much over the last couple of months, and I also know that you guys really like them. Uh, Look, it's just straight up a combination of me being busy and a lot of wrestling happening. There's been so many pay-per-views and instant analysis and events that we've had to do, special episodes, unfortunately, with the releases and things like that, where I'll tell you, candidly, a couple interviews I had planned were with people 
who got released. So I haven't been able to do a lot of those, but in this final month of the year, my goal is to do a couple interviews. Of course, we will have the Getting Over Award Show. I believe we call them the meaties. Uh, those will come out you know, near the end of the month, right before the start of 2022. I'm gonna figure out the voting. We're gonna see if we do it like we did last year where you guys got to vote for some finalists uh, and got your vote counted as one third of the total with Chris and I making up the other two thirds. I got to see how that went and I got to make sure it all works, uh, put the categories together. Maybe we did a few too many categories last year. Maybe there's a couple we need to add. I want to listen back to that show is my point before I figure out what those awards are going to look like. But the point is, don't fret. We will have that very special getting over awards, a.k.a. the meaties. That show is indeed coming back to wrap up 2021. I would also uh, be remiss because I just talked about schedule and the five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Very important. If you didn't give thanks to getting over uh, for Thanksgiving, you can get us a Christmas or a Hanukkah or a Kwanzaa gift uh, by going ahead and heading over and doing that for us. That would be great. Just as good as money is your five-star rating and review. Also, though, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we normally tweet live during the four major shows. I didn't get a chance to do it this week. Again, I was extremely busy, Uh, but we do pre and post show polls ahead of pay-per-views that will come to fruition on Sunday. And then of course, uh, we also will tweet as soon as episodes go live. So you will know as soon as the instant analysis hits late Sunday night. So with all of that, let's get into the show itself. As always, since we do talk NXT and AEW on the same show, a reminder that we do have timestamps in our episode description. So all you need to do, if you only watch one show or the other, you hit the description, you find the timestamp, you skip ahead. But of course, I hope you listen to the entire show. Since this week is a special NXT event, a pay-per-view, if you will, we are gonna start with NXT. Also, candidly, AEW was kind of uneventful this week. I'm not saying nothing happened. The main event in Dynamite was really good, but it didn't feel like an important week as much as it usually does. So really everything is pushing me to talk about NXT first, which is what we are going to do right now. We're going to start by talking about things that happened on this week's show that have nothing to do with war games. And then after that, we will go through the NXT war games ultimate preview. So let's kick things off with uh, Idris Inofe versus Solo Sokoa. So there was a vignette for this Inofe guy uh, talking about growing up in Inglewood, always up to no good, serving in the military, overcoming obstacles, things like that. He said he's not that dissimilar from Sokoa because they both kind of grew up on the street, fought their way into making something of themselves. And he gave him the nick gave himself the nickname, the epitome of excellence. That's a lot of ease. Idris Anofe, epitome of excellence. All right. Uh, Sokoa was cutting a promo later. When Boa came out, he was kind of clutching his chest, looking weird. And we didn't know what was going to come of that. He was also speaking in Chinese. The match started. Robert Stone came out like one minute in. Sokoa hit a great swinging slam and a running senton. Anofe hit a standing shooting star and a flying crossbody. Anofe missed a high-risk move, so Sokoa hit a pop-up Samoan drop and the Uso splash for the win. Boa came out, he attacked uh, in the face paint, and Sokoa and Anofe basically kind of helped each other overcome him. Uh, they shook hands at the end of the whole thing. So look, uh, Anofe, quick review of this guy. First time I've ever seen him. Uh, he's incredibly green, but... He has an awesome look. I mean, this guy is built. He's jacked up and larger than I expected coming out of the vignette. I didn't think 
he was going to be that big of a dude. He also has a lot of really solid athleticism. So I think he has a high ceiling, you know, with any prospect, you never know if they're actually going to reach it, whether it's wrestling, football, doesn't really matter. But from a look standpoint, from an athleticism standpoint, he definitely has the building blocks. So, uh, you know, a thumbs up for him. Uh, we also had Indy Hartwell and Persia Parada against Valentina Feroz and Ulisa Leon. Uh, the hospital called Indy to tell her that Dexter Loomis had disappeared. She was distraught. There was a random woman sleeping on a couch backstage. I think it was Karen Q, the former Mi Ying. I'm not 100% sure about that. Perota tagged in and dominated with a great swinging X-Factor off her shoulders for the win. The story of this whole thing is that Persia is slowly improving while Indy is dragging them down because she's distracted. But they also just established that they're best friends. So I don't really like the idea of potentially doing a split angle when you just established that they're close and friends and made a tag team. That's strange. There wasn't much to chew on here, but they are doing an okay job telling the story. And then lastly, a couple quick hitters. Uh, MSK arrived at the shaman's house. The GPS had an attitude uh, while they were driving. They opened a warehouse door. The room was filled with smoke and that was literally it. We didn't find out who the shaman was. Grizzled young veterans were, were caught trying to uh, break into the lockers of Briggs and Jensen. Jack of time interrupted. It was somewhat comical, but again, grizzled young veterans is just way better than this. There was another daddy's girl vignette for Tiffany Stratton talking about getting anything she wants, basically the same stuff as last time. And then we also got the very first vignette for Draco or Draco. I forget which one it was. Anthony, he was drinking black coffee in a diner. It kind of reminded me of like Denzel in The Equalizer. That, that's kind of the vibe I got from it. He said, he's not what NXT wants. He's what NXT needs. Now, what does that mean? I have no idea. Are they going to take this guy and team him up with Carmelo Hayes and make them a tag team called Carmelo Anthony? I hope so. Uh, but, you know, I don't know exactly what they're doing. Um, you know, they're introducing a lot of talent. And I'm okay with people coming in, getting reps. But considering they just brought in Sokoa, they just brought in Inofe on this show, and now they're doing a promo for Anthony, Draco, Draco, whatever. It just seems like it's a lot all at once of, like, people who are being introduced and not really established. Like Sokoa, it would be one thing if he came in and squashed a bunch of people and, you know, just kept building that up and he's doing one thing and then they're introducing new people separately. But to have him fight Anofe and then Anofe to take the loss when he maybe should have fought this guy Draco or maybe just a jobber and gotten a win instead, that would have been a nice kind of way to allow these people to all get introduced and look strong at the beginning. Instead, that's not exactly what they're doing. So it's a little bit strange. Uh, but I will say, right before we get to this uh, War Games Ultimate Preview, NXT over the last three weeks, and you guys know I've been up and down on the rebrand, mostly down on it. The last three weeks has really been a step in the right direction. Now, I am not saying that this is as good as the old NXT. It's not. It's not as good as the USA Network version. It's not as good as the old WWE Network black and gold version. It's just not there. The wrestling top to bottom uh, and the storylines top to bottom throughout the whole show are not as good, entertaining, and captivating. However, it is way freaking better than the first month of 2.0. I mean, it is night and day. Like, we're getting good television matches, interesting storylines. They're reducing the number of segments that we get per show. Everything that happens on TV actually seems to matter. So I am back to enjoying NXT. I'm just not enjoying it the way I used to. You guys remember for a long time, NXT was 
number one with a bullet, my favorite brand, period. It's not that anymore. It's, you know, many weeks, my third or fourth favorite show. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Rampage in general. It's It doesn't really do much for me because there's hardly any storylines. It's only wrestling. So I guess NXT would kind of slot in fourth behind Raw, SmackDown, and Dynamite. But some weeks, uh, SmackDown is bad recently, and it's kind of fallen in before NXT. And I would actually say that this past week, NXT on Tuesday was better than the SmackDown on Friday that preceded it. And I actually don't think it was close. I thought it was a much better show. So look, it was a go home to War Games. That's important for it to be good. And this War Games card, we're gonna talk about it right now. You know, I'm not gonna come out here and say it's stacked, um, but it's solid. It's a really solid card, especially considering how much fresh blood is on it. So let's get to talking NXT War Games Ultimate Preview. No more TakeOver. TakeOver has been dropped. And you know what? At first, I was angry about that. In retrospect, I'm glad they dropped TakeOver because TakeOver was a very specific type of event. And that is now over. That company, that brand, that wrestling style is now over. So I'm glad they dropped TakeOver. I'm glad they're going to just call them NXT whatever event name. It seems a lot more appropriate given what we're getting now. So we'll start with the low card, work our way up to the main event, and we're also going to talk about what happened on the go-home show obviously. So the Cruiserweight Championship, Roderick Strong defending against Joe Gacy. By the way, Gacy is billed as 245 pounds, so 40 pounds over the limit. On NXT, there was an all-inclusive invitational. Gacy with Harland had three matches scheduled with diverse opponents before uh, his match at NXT Conflict Resolution is what he called it instead of War Games. I thought that was funny. Uh, Gacy fought a small white guy, a woman who was like the size of Dakota Kai, and a very large black man who was wearing Japanese garb. Gacy beat the shit out of the first guy before Malcolm Bivens and Diamond Mine interrupted. He was about to fight the woman, never got a chance to. Strong attacked Gacy, but Harlan saved him by pulling him out of the ring. And that was it. It was a fine segment. The problem with Gacy's character for me is it's slow, monotone, and it's just boring. Like, it's tough to get excited about anything he says or does, even though it is legitimately unique. It's a smart gimmick. I don't mind the gimmick, but I don't think it is ultimately going to be the one that works for him long-term. As far as the match goes, look, could they change the title and do this inclusivity thing? Sure, I guess they could, but Diamond Mine is one of the few new things that is really hitting on all cylinders. Strong has been, even though he hasn't really defended it. I mean, he has a couple times, but he's been a good cruiserweight champion and he's a good representative of that division especially given he has the faction around him. I just don't see how, even with having Harlan in his corner potentially, I do not see how it would make any sense for Gacy to beat Strong, even if they're going tongue-in-cheek with him being heavier, 245 pounds, and carrying the cruiserweight title. I mean, that's something we've seen before in wrestling. I don't particularly find it that interesting. So my guess, my prediction here, is that Strong will retain the title. Moving on, Cameron Grimes versus Duke Hudson in a hair versus hair match. Grimes fought Andre Chase on NXT. Grimes won with the cave-in, and Chase got a little bit of offense, but not too much. Hudson showed photographs of Grimes with shitty haircuts, photoshops, not photographs. Uh, Grimes got angry, tried to shave Chase's head when one of his students saved him. So look, we know and we've established on this show that Cameron Grimes has it. He absolutely has it. And I think Hudson does too. 
But the problem is they aren't really letting him show it with this gimmick or his promos. I've already talked about how the poker thing is like 25 years in the past or 20 years old. It's a bland version. This this Duke Hudson character is a very bland, unexciting version of Wade Barrett. And Barrett on his own, I'm not saying he wasn't exciting, but his character wasn't particularly like flashy or, or, or a type of guy who showed off. He just was brutal. Duke Hudson's a big dude who's not brutal. He's so worried about poker. So the whole thing, it doesn't necessarily work for me. As far as the match, really, I do think it could go either way. Uh, with Cameron Grimes already trimming his beard and trimming his hair and really looking a lot better in terms of a character that WWE can market from a standpoint of that, I don't know why you would shave his head. I mean, I guess you could if Grimes ultimately wants to, and that's where this is all coming from. But a clean cut Cameron Grimes, whether it's bald or whether it's with, you know, a short haircut, I don't really think it works. Duke Hudson, I don't necessarily think it works either, um, but he can grow his hair back a lot faster. Uh, so that's where I look at it. I do think it's another spot. Uh, I do think there will be occasions on the show where the rookies go over, um, but I think this is another spot where the veteran goes over, and therefore I'm going to stick with Cameron Grimes winning the match. There's going to be a tag team title match, Imperium defending against an opponent that was determined on NXT. So Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner fought Legato Del Fantasma for a number one contendership. Uh, Zion Quinn came down, walked out, stared at Electra Lopez and attacked Santos Escobar. Wagner got the hot tag. O'Reilly and Wilde had a really good sequence. They eventually pulled it off with a high-low leg sweep for the win to advance to War Games, the faces. Later, Quinn said he was just getting started with Escobar. Lopez asked him not to mess with Legato and then wished him good luck in his upcoming match with Escobar. So the, the match was good. Um, three of the guys, of course, are extremely talented. Wagner, I will give him credit. He did hold his own. He was able to hold his own. So credit to him. There's just nothing about this team worth buying into. The work, I guess, top to bottom was solid. You know, Kyle O'Reilly, his contract is one of those that's expiring. We wonder, is this tag team with Vaughn something that they lose this match and then break up and then O'Reilly goes away? Is it something they're actually going to do long term and O'Reilly is staying and he's actually not going to leave even though his contract is set to expire soon? There's a bunch of questions here. Um, as I've said numerous times, nothing has worked for Kyle O'Reilly since the end of Undisputed Era. And that was way before 2.0 started. It just... Him as a singles character, the cool Kyle character didn't work. The crazy Kyle character was better, but they ended it very quickly. And there's just not a lot to sink one's teeth into here. Regarding Escobar and Quinn, I hope Escobar wins that feud, hopefully. Uh, I like Zion. I think he's talented, but this obviously needs to be a situation where the veteran goes over. That's not a match on the pay-per-view, but it is coming up. Uh, as far as the pay-per-view match, Imperium just won the tag team titles. Uh, could they switch them? Yeah, I guess it's possible. But if you're going to have Imperium finally beat MSK and, and give Imperium, by the way, a lot of promo time, which they've never had before, then to me, that's saying, hey, we believe in this team. We want these guys to carry the straps and be that team that a rookie pair or a face pair down the line needs to beat. So I like Imperium retaining. I do have that means in the first three matches, the veterans all winning. Um, there are two War Games matches left, and I think there may be some opportunities for the rookies coming up. We'll talk about it in a moment. 
But as far as these first few matches go, to me, it makes sense uh, for the veterans to win. I, I don't think from a booking standpoint, it really makes sense for uh, Von Wagner to have a tag team title, uh, Duke Hudson to make sure Cameron Grimes gets his head shaved, or for Joe Gacy to be cruiserweight champion. So I'm just going with what I think to be the most obvious. Uh, let's move over to the two War Games matches. That's really what this show is about. The women's War Games match, I anticipate this is going to open the show. Raquel Gonzalez, Io Shirai, Cora Jade, and Kaylee Ray against Toxic Attraction and Dakota Kai. Uh, KLR fought Kai in an advantage ladder match on NXT. The teams brawled as the show opened, and KLR hit an insane flying cannonball outside immediately after the bell. Kai came back with a swinging neckbreaker into the steel steps. KLR then hit a tope suicida, dropped Kai onto a ladder. Kai responded with a hanging double stomp outside, and KLR hit a gory bomb into the announce table. Kai hit a huge double stomp off a ladder, but KLR super kicked her into a ladder and then eventually grabbed the briefcase. So the finish to this match was a tad uneventful, I will say. I didn't love the finish. But prior to that, this thing was an absolute banger. There's really no surprise that Kaylee Ray and Dakota Kai are going to put on a hell of a match. Then you add a ladder to the mix and boom, there you go. The crowd was into it the entire time. It was going crazy. One of the best matches that we have seen from this new era so far. Maybe because, let's be honest, both of these women are from the old era. So I went four stars and an A minus. That's possibly a quarter point too high. But man, I really, really like this match. It was such a pleasant surprise to open the show. Now, as far as war games goes, this is so tough because you look at the face side and you say, my God, Raquel, Io, Kaylee Ray. Those are three extremely strong top tier women's wrestlers in this company. And Cora Jade is clearly someone they're trying to push along. But you go over to the other side. Dakota Kai obviously is exceptionally strong. We know she's crazy and can do anything. Toxic attraction, two rookies, and Mandy Rose, all three of them holding titles. To me, it's an obvious choice that the heels win this match, especially given the faces got the advantage. And having the faces get the advantage in a War Games match, it's strange anyway. You know, faces double-teaming heels, that's not really how it normally goes. So I am going to be interested to kind of see how this match plays out. My hope is that we get another insane spot from Io Shirai. You're going to remember she did the uh, trash can spot off the cage. I think that was last year. Maybe it was two years ago, but she's a sick one, um, EO, and she's awesome. So I do hope we get an awesome spot like that. But I do think Toxic Attraction and Dakota Kai make sense as the ones to win this match. And then we have the men's war games, which is going to be Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, Pete Dunne, and L.A. Knight against Braun Breaker, Carmelo Hayes, Grayson Waller, and Tony D'Angelo. There was a Team 2.0 promo segment Mello cut one on Gargano. Waller called himself a sports entertainer and shit on LA Knight. Braun made fun of Champa's experience and said he was coming for the title. D'Angelo singled out Dunn. After all of that, Gargano came out, talked some shit to Braun, and said he was the reason that all those guys even had an NXT to compete in. So the main event of the show was another advantage ladder match, Gargano versus Braun. Braun stopped Gargano after a slingshot spear. He also hit a spear outside and sold a knee. Gargano ate a uh, release belly-to-belly suplex into a ladder that was elevated. It was a really cool spot. Braun then put Gargano on the ladder but missed an elbow drop onto it. He took the full force. 
Gargano then put Braun face first into an elevated ladder with a drop toe hold. Braun took Johnny, put him onto a ladder, and then lifted both on his shoulders. But Gargano slid off, hit two super kicks. Braun then flipped him the middle finger, and Gargano hit a third super kick. Braun then took Gargano off the ropes with a Frankensteiner that was so cool to see. Gargano countered a press into a DDT, and then they were both on top of the ladder. Gargano swung the briefcase into Braun's head. That knocked him off, but Braun quickly pulled him off the ladder and caught him with a power slam before climbing to the top and grabbing the briefcase. The two men's teams then brawled as the show went off the air. What a freaking match this was, okay? Was it a classic? No, it wasn't. But it was a damn good ladder match between two guys who are completely different wrestlers. Gargano carried Braun in parts of the match, of course, but Braun also held his own. He had some big moves, got some bumps he took that he took, and he sold really, really well for a guy his age. That is an underrated skill for a big dude who's only had five wrestling matches. So I was between 3.75 stars, four stars, B plus, A minus. I was going back and forth. This and the women's match were both extremely close, but this was a very fun and great way to tease war games and really promote the show. And then on top of this, something else which was great was on social media, uh, the veteran NXT team, mostly LA Knight, but also Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, and Pete Dunne, they all got the chance to cut a promo. I really wish this was on television, but I loved this so much, and I want to make sure you hear it before the pay-per-view. Sorry, guys. It'd be nice to have the advantage, but I guess we've been at a disadvantage since day one here, so what else is new, right? I don't care if they've got the advantage. I've been in war games before. I know what it's about. They don't have a clue. I don't know, man. Guys, I'm just not sure at this point. Word on the streets is maybe we bit off more than we could chew. I mean, look at them. They're big. They're strong. I mean, what can we do, right? Wrong. 2.0, let me talk to you. Tonight, you got the advantage. Huh? I said tonight, you got the advantage. Yeah, and I want you to live that. I want you to absorb that. Let that sink in. Because that advantage, very quickly... That illusion will get shattered on Sunday as these three men standing next to me understand that when we are put to pressure, when we are told no, when doors are shut in our face, when we're told we don't want you here anymore, you've got to understand that that is when we excel. Because right now I am standing next to excellence. You're talking about the bruiserweight, former NXT UK champion. You're talking about the first Johnny Wrestling. Here he is, Johnny Wrestling, the first NXT Triple Crown Championing. You were talking about the current reigning two-time, two-time NXT champion. And you got to understand, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means dues paid in full time and again. And people would say, well, maybe that doesn't matter so much, right? It matters to me. It matters to them. And what that means is on Sunday, man, you ain't got to like us. You don't even have to respect us. Because once the cage comes down, once the rings are in place, these four men step in the ring. Brother, you got to understand, each and every one of you will get the respect stomped out of each and every one of your asses. That's not an insult. That is just a fact of life. Yeah. 2.0, you want to know how you done messed up? When you look across that ring and you see DIY. Who? DIY. Huh? Together. Unified. Representing the black and gold. Because we got a little thing we like to say in the black and gold brand. 
we, we are NXT this Sunday. Y'all boys better prepare for some war. Game on. I mean, that is just ridiculously great, right? I mean, like, I just wish that was on television. I hope they air it, whether it's on the pre-show, whether it's on War Games itself. That is an incredible team promo, but forget just a team promo. LA Knight absolutely crushed that. You guys know I am not the biggest LA Knight fan, at least so far in NXT, but man, that was impressive stuff from him, impressive stuff from all of them. Now, look, as far as this match goes, it is really tough to call, okay? On one hand, I think the most obvious thing is that, look, it's 2.0, it's the rookies, WWE wants to put all these young kids over, and that's what it's all about. It's not about the veterans. Okay, that's fair. That That's a true take, a true prediction. I understand that. On the other hand, you literally have Tommaso Ciampa, the NXT champion, Johnny Gargano, arguably him and Adam Cole won two and in, in some way, the two most popular, most... Um, most basic uh, representations of NXT that we've had throughout this entire time. And you say, well, man, are, are they really going to have Johnny Gargano lose that match? And and yes, look, Johnny's contract is also expiring. In fact, he signed a short-term extension uh, just to do uh, war games. Now, you know, maybe he's still negotiating a full-time contract. That is certainly possible. But as far as right now, his contract ends either after war games or soon thereafter in a week or two that follow. So that is all going to be uh, extremely interesting. Pete Dunne, since he's come over, hasn't done, he's been on TV a lot, hasn't really accomplished much of anything. And LA Knight, even though he's been on the show, he hasn't done anything really. Um, He did have the feud with Cameron Grimes, but he hasn't truly been a contender or maybe what we thought or some people thought he might be already at this point in his NXT career. So do you really have four rookies come and beat these veterans? And if so, what does that really mean for the rest of your show. You know, what does that mean for NXT going forward? You have Braun, obviously, who's going to challenge for the NXT title way too soon after already losing to Champa. Carmelo is already the North American champion. Grayson Waller, you know, he's doing better. His gimmick is certainly good. And Tony D'Angelo's kind of a shtick type of performer right now, but certainly does seem to have a future. I think you have to go counter expectation if you're WWE. Uh, I, they have to be seeing that 2.0 is not working extremely well. They also, I would hope, need to understand that fans don't really want the rookies to win this. And this is the main event of a show where you're saying, hey, a lot of you who saw those first couple episodes of 2.0 and maybe didn't like them and haven't given us a second chance, since this is an NXT pay-per-view even though it's not called TakeOver, maybe we're going to get some of you guys to tune in. We're going to put our best foot forward here. So I think because the majority, you know, half the team is rookies in the women's war games match, that they're going to win that. Even though they're not the favorites, the favorites here are definitely the 2.0 rookies. I'm going to go ahead and pick the veterans. I think Braun still has a reason to challenge for the title, even if Champa and co win this. Like I said, Hayes is already the champion. He doesn't need elevation other than the North American Championship. And Waller and D'Angelo are a couple of guys who can easily be beaten in this match. They can take the fall. Whereas on the NXT side, outside of Dunn, you really, I mean, I'm sorry, outside of Knight, you really don't want any of those guys taking the ultimate fall that loses the match. So for all those reasons, 
I'm going to pick the veterans. I may be wrong. I may be wrong. Um, but I'm going to say that Knight pins Waller. Just a guess. I have no clue. It could go a million different ways. I do think it's going to be an exciting match. As long as those rookies can competently go. And it seems like all of those four guys, when you, when, it talks, when you talk about the NXT rookie class, all four of those guys can wrestle. Braun is the greenest of all of them. Hayes, Waller, and D'Angelo are all talented, uh, even though they may need a little bit of help. I think it's going to be a good match, and I do think the veterans win. So as far as uh, the NXT you know, overall pre-show grade, Look, man, takeovers, you guys know, it's it's like a default A, right? And default A, maybe an A minus. This isn't a takeover. And I can't get there because the card's not that strong. So my expectation grade for this is a B. I still think it's going to deliver extremely well. You guys will have an opportunity to share your expectation grade on our Twitter account, at Getting Overcast. I just don't really see how this is going to be a spectacular show, which is what you need to be in order to get into that A range. You need to be a full gear. You need to be a crown jewel. Still can't even believe I'm able to say that crown jewel was a great show this year, but it was. You need to be a money in the bank in order to be in an A range. And I just do not see how NXT War Games can get there. But am I excited for the show? Yes, I think it's going to be very good. And I'm happy to watch it on Sunday. And I'm happy, of course, to give you an instant analysis podcast right here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast feed. I do not know whether Chris Vanini will be with me for that. I'm going to hope that he is because it's a singular event. Hopefully he's able to watch it. Either way, we will have a show for you. So with NXT done, let's move over to AEW where we're going to talk about Dynamite and Rampage. We're going to combine them. Some storylines run together. Some do not. As I said this week, when it comes to AEW, I just thought it was a down week. Nothing that really happened across either show to me was like majorly impactful where it said, oh my God, Silver King, you need to tune in next week. And one of the things that AEW does a really good job of normally is giving you a singular thing at least, at least one, usually two, three, or four, where you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to tune in next week to see what happens. I don't really feel that here. Now, that doesn't mean the shows were bad. It just means I, they didn't captivate me the way that they have in you know certain recent weeks. So let's start with the Dynamite main event. That was the match of the week. Cody Rhodes against Andrade El Idolo in an Atlanta street fight. Andrade attacked on the stage. They fought into the crowd. Andrade dropped Cody into the corner of the steel steps. Then Cody just turned around, hugged T-Pain, took a steel chair from him and used it. Andrade hit a low blow and used Cody's belt before throwing it into the crowd. Andrade took a laptop, hit Cody with it. Then he did a split-legged moonsault. Cody did a low blow kick. He bladed. Cody dropped Andrade on the exposed concrete outside. He went under the ring to get a weapon threw away a sledgehammer, and picked up a golden shovel. You guys get it? You get the reference? Not the sledgehammer, a shovel. Not just a shovel, a golden shovel. Yes, Cody, we get it. A Jose ran down with a taser. Cody hit him in the face with a shovel. Andrade hit an Escalera splash outside and a Meteora with a chair inside for a near fall. Then he flung Cody with a hip toss through a table. Brandy Rhodes ran into the ring in a... AEW sweatshirt because she needed to be hidden for what reason? I don't know. Sprayed lighter fluid all over a table, lit it on fire. Cody hit an inverted suplex into it. He took 100% of the punishment, yet he was the one who pinned Andrade, despite Andrade not even hitting the table. So Cody won. So look, the match was actually great. I may have sounded the way I was breaking it down, 
like I hated it or something. I didn't. The match was extremely entertaining, but what the hell was that finish? Not only was it LOL Cody wins, very much LOL Cena wins, but Brandy had absolutely no reason to get involved. Like it would have been one thing if in the lead up, Andrade insulted her or insulted Cody's manhood or did something like that to create a reason for Brandy to get involved. There was no reason she just got involved. The fire was an awesome sight, but neither Cody nor Andrade nor Brandy noticed it was way too close to the table to the ropes. Cody, like I said, he took all the punishment and I'm sure that was planned for him to take at least some given he had that gel on his back that was peeling off the entire match. Andrade also had it on his stomach though. So to me, that meant they were supposed to land 50-50 right in the middle. Yet again, despite Cody taking the entire fall, he still won the match. So look, it was a great street fight. The finish really turned me off. I was at 4.5 stars and an A. I was ready to go like, wow, this was absolutely incredible. The finish, it knocks it down a peg. It's still an A, 4.25 stars. Super entertaining. I just didn't like the finish. Also on Dynamite, this opened the show, Brian Danielson against Alan Angels. Danielson did a really good job selling flashy offense from Angels for like a couple minutes, but he easily caught him with a running knee, then stomped his head before locking in the knee bar and holding it well past the bell for the submission win. Brian is a great heel. I, I, I say it all the time on this show. He also talked about stomping the rest of Dark Order before beating Hangman for the title in Dallas, home of the Cowboys. John Silver stopped Hangman Page from attacking because he's not allowed. He would have got fined, suspended, something like that from Tony Khan. Brian dodged Silver when he ran into the ring and then talked more shit to Page's face. This remains an extremely well done storyline. I talk about it all the time that sometimes just simple things are good. And Brian's heel turn compared to, juxtaposed with, I should say, a extremely over baby face in Hangman Page. It's just completely working for both of them. Brian going through the Dark Order, it's great, given he is clearly on another level than everyone else in the group. So him winning those matches doesn't really hurt anyone because he's supposed to win the matches. Still, I do expect Hangman ultimately to win this at the end, but given this was a change of plans from John Moxley, AEW and Tony Khan are doing a really good job handling it, and they did a really good job creating a storyline basically out of nothing. On Dynamite, we had CM Punk against Lee Moriarty. There was absolutely no build to this match happening. MJF came out in a Hanukkah suit and he sat on commentary. Moriarty rolled through a crossbody for a near fall and got Punk in a crossface. Then he rolled through a Hurricanrana into a pinning combination for another near fall. Moriarty also hit like a spinning neckbreaker falcon arrow type of move. Super impressive for another near fall. And then Punk eventually wrenched uh, Moriarty onto his shoulders and hit a GTS for the win. What I loved about this match was how much Punk sold for Moriarty here. The whole match was about getting the kid over. At the same time, Punk made himself look vulnerable, which was important for the MJF storyline. This was just extremely well done despite being short. I went 3.5 stars and a B for this. That may surprise some of you that think there wasn't enough match here to actually give it a really good grade, but I just loved the work, the, the purpose, I guess, of the match and how Punk, despite taking all that punishment, all those near falls and selling so much, all he really needed to do was put on his veteran hat, wrench him onto his shoulders, hit the GTS and get the win. I thought it was extremely well done. MJF after the match trashed Punk on the mic with a bunch of stuff about him struggling 
against lesser competition and trying to bang Britt Baker. It was good, except I didn't get the Baker references. Maybe there's something I'm missing about that, but I don't know why that kept getting brought up. Punk said uh, the guys he fought are better than MJF, meaning um, QT Marshall and Lee Moriarty. He also called him a needle dick. MJF said Punk needs him more than the other way around, and he would win this dynamite diamond battle, dozen battle royal or something next week in Long Island. And after he does, he's going to put Punk's dog to sleep. Punk rushed him, and then Wardlow came out to have his back. Look, it's a good feud. Uh, It feels like this should be building towards a pay-per-view match. So I'm really curious if that's what they're going to do, and if so, how the hell they're going to let this last for another, you know, two and a half months at this point. So I I presume that's what they're doing, but, you know, we'll get to more on this in a moment. We'll talk about more in a minute. There just wasn't much development in this segment from last week to discuss. It was really basically the same thing. On Dynamite, we had Darby Allen and Sting fight the gun club. Billy Gunn distracted the referee so Austin could take a shot at Sting. Billy then hit the Famouser, but Sting kicked out at 2.5. Darby hit some crazy tope suicidas and an over-the-top stunner, and Sting added the Scorpion Death Drop for the win to end the gun club's undefeated streak. This was a fun little match. Hopefully, for me, it's the end of this storyline. I don't think it needs to go on any further. It was pretty impressive that Sting and Billy are in this match wrestling at a combined 120 years old, 62 and 58. Yes, Billy Gunn is 58. It's wild. Uh, But they're both still moving well, Gunn especially. And it was pretty cool. You know, if you do this on TV, I have no problem with it, right? That's what this was. And Darby and Sting won. Team Taz was on commentary here. So Brian Cage has completely disappeared after leaving the group. Ricky Starks, we basically never see. And even when we do, the guy doesn't wrestle. So I just thought that was weird. We're going to stay with Team Taz because a little bit later, Taz did a terrible, terrible impression of the Scott Steiner math promo, trying to explain the dynamite diamond dozen battle royal. I still don't know what the exact name is. The deal is that it's going to be a battle royal, I guess, with 12 people. And the last two will fight for the dynamite diamond ring that MJF has held for the last two years at Winter is Coming. So I presume he's just going to keep it again or somehow get it because I don't know what else there really is to do with the ring, which still to this day, when you get the ring, you don't get anything out of it. And like, since you're not going to like pawn it for the value of the diamond, then I still don't understand what the point of the ring is other than to give MJF something, you know, just a flash. And if that's what this is, then that's okay. Um, At the same time, if MJF is going to get this ring, he would have to be fighting at Winter is Coming. So I thought, well, what if they do MJF and Punk at Winter is Coming? Clearly, it seems like they're not going to be doing that. However, there's a couple different machinations, a couple different possibilities here where they could still involve them in a storyline about the ring. They could possibly do MJF and Punk as the final two and MJF beating Punk at Winter is Coming via cheating to keep the ring, and then they could do a rematch at the pay-per-view with Punk coming out on top. That's option one. Another scenario would involve Wardlow instead of MJF in the final two, maybe against Punk at Winter is Coming with the ring on the line. Punk could win it or Wardlow could win it. If Wardlow won, MJF could just demand that he gave it to him. Very heelish, very million-dollar man type of move. Or Punk could win it, and then that would give MJF a reason even more to want to fight Punk and get the diamond ring on the line in a match, pay-per-view match, 
at whatever the next event is. It just feels like no matter what happens with this ring, it's gonna involve some combination of these three people. Uh, after all of this, Leo Rush came out saying he also had a chance to win the Battle Royal. He got into a really bad promo battle with Taz. They just kept yelling over each other, stepping on each other's lines. Then Starks finally and Dante Martin also came out to prevent Rush from attacking. It was just a mess. The Martin swerve still remains interesting to me, but this to me at least just did not work at all. On Rampage, we had Adam Cole and Bobby Fish against Orange Cassidy and Wheeler Utah. Orange did his pockets gimmick. There was a really inventive German suplex jackknife cover attempt. Fish exploded Orange into Utah. Cole ran Orange into the steps outside and Fish hit an absurdly good avalanche falcon arrow on Utah for the win. Damn good wrestling match. 3.5 stars and a B. There just wasn't anything to it or any real storyline to chew on, but it was very entertaining from start to finish. On Dynamite, Cole made an entrance and then sat at commentary, which you would presume was for a match. But then Orange came out, they stared at each other, and that was the segment. Like, like there wasn't a match that came after that where Cole was going to be on commentary for it. Cole low blow to Orange, the Young Bucks came out, teased him with faint kicks, and then eventually double super kicked him. They were about to do a BTE trigger when Best Friends made the save with chairs. So it's clear they're going to do a six-man tag team match coming up soon. And that's fine. It's a perfectly good in-between feud. There's reasons for it. There's storyline to it now. It just, there wasn't much of any in the first match on Rampage. On Rampage, Tony Nese told Tony Schiavone he's been scouting the competition and wants to challenge for the TNT Championship against Sammy Guevara because he's been unimpressed with him. Sammy confronted him, accepted the challenge before Nice blindsided him and then kneed him in the ribs. Nice also got a 20-second promo on Dynamite. It's a nice, simple gimmick to explain what they've been doing the match is going to bang on Friday. I have no doubt that it's going to be really good. On Rampage, FTR and the Lucha Brothers are still feuding, apparently. FTR challenged them to a two of three falls match. It wasn't a title challenge, but it was announced as one later. I was ready for this feud to end at full gear. I don't know why it's still going. This is well into WWE rematch territory. On Dynamite, apparently Ray Phoenix can't make it into the United States. So now Pac is fighting instead of Phoenix in the tag team match which is going to be on Rampage instead of Dynamite, except now it's not for the titles and it's not two of three falls. This stuff just frustrates me. AEW, all you need to do is say, Phoenix isn't available. We're going to do this match at Winter is Coming. Or we're going to do it in two weeks or three weeks or however long. This thing is just endless. The wrestling is going to be great. FTR, great. Pentagon, great. Pac, great. All these guys. But my interest in this feud has been completely lost. On Dynamite, Miro had a vignette promo in a white void. I think it was supposed to represent like the limbo of his mind or something like that. He didn't say much, but it was a really good visual with him getting in his own head and trying to kind of get his mind around losing recently and his God forsaking him and the whole deal. It had a really unique look. Miro was solid cutting the promo. It is a strange precedent though that every time this Redeemer character loses a match, he has to go on some quest to find himself. I mean, that means the guy should never lose, really. Um, and I don't know what his next feud or next match is going to be, but if it winds up to be against Hangman Page, let's say, for a title, well, he's going to lose again. So, so what's he going to do at that point? Bury himself? Like, you know, I don't know what's next if this guy loses another match. Uh, let's move over to the women for a bit. On Rampage, we had Britt Baker versus Rio. It was basically one of those champion contender matches that we don't like in WWE. Rio countered an air raid crash with a dragon suplex that Baker just let her do without any fight. Uh, Baker then hit an air raid crash for a near fall. Rio caught Baker in a pinning combination and got the one, two, three to earn the title match. 
She barely got five seconds on screen to celebrate before AEW cut off to the next thing. I just wasn't a huge fan of the match. It was plotting. It really wasn't believable. I don't mind a champion losing because AEW does it so rarely. It almost never happens. So I, that wasn't my problem with it. I'm just really not looking forward to a rematch. And I'm not particularly a, a big Rio fan either. I mean, I think there's 10, 12 women on the roster that are better wrestlers than she is. On Dynamite, Baker got her standard backstage promo. Jamie Hayter said she wasn't at the Friendsgiving dinner last week because she had a big match. And then Baker said Hayter would take Rio on next week. Everyone did the DMD, you know, pointing thing except Hater. So I presume Rio beats Hater and then loses to Baker at Winter is Coming. That's what I have to assume is going to happen. They probably didn't need the first Baker match. They could have just said she wants a title match and Baker throws Hater in there and says, okay, if you want to fight me, beat Hater. And then they do that. So it feels like they did one match too many potentially, but we'll see what happens, of course, um, when they fight. On T- on a, I almost said on TBS. On Dynamite, they had the latest uh, TBS, I believe it's a quarterfinal match, Chris Statlander against Ruby Soho. Ruby ate a buckle bomb and a hooking, spinning Falcon Arrow for a near fall. Ruby then hit a seated Poison Rana and sold her surprise that that didn't finish Statlander. Ruby then countered Big Bang Theory into a pinning combination and got the win. They hugged afterward. Vicky Guerrero distracted Statlander while Nyla Rose ran into the ring to take out Ruby. She pulled her off the ropes and slammed her. Um, and that will be the semifinal match, Ruby against Nyla Rose. So the two women's matches in one week basically had an identical finish. I didn't mind it because both matches were good enough. Like the, the Baker-Rio match wasn't terrible. But this one, Statlander and Soho, this was a banger. It was the best AEW match of the week other than the Dynamite main event. I thought this was number two. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus here. I just wish half of it wasn't during the commercial break like it always is. This thing is kicking the shit out of the Queen's Crown Tournament, by the way, by just comparing them apples to apples. But we knew that was going to be the case because this tournament is actually getting time. And you know what? I don't even mind that they're only doing one match per show and they're dragging it out because it feels like a real tournament. But we did know from the second this tournament was announced, I said it on this podcast, there was no way they would give you more than one match per show. So I see people praising that it's lasting a long time and that AEW is giving it time. That's true, but one of the reasons that's the case is because AEW refuses to put one that, more than one women's match on any of its television shows. So it's, you know, you get credit for it, but it's credit within context. You have to be able to kind of talk about both. Uh, WWE, since I mentioned the Queen's Crown, it could do something just as good, if not better than this tournament. It just refuses to try. On Rampage, we get Eddie Kingston against Daniel Garcia. Kingston laughed when Garcia said he'd embarrass him. Kingston sold a knee and hit a powerbomb on one leg. The finish was a brawl with Kingston hitting a Saito suplex, uh, missing a spinning backfist, and then coming through and hitting one for the win. 2.0 attacked afterwards. Chris Jericho made the save. Uh, then that followed up on his dynamite promo against them. This was another deal that didn't work for me. I never got excited about it. And the assumed tag team match doesn't do much for me either. It wasn't bad by any means, but both Kingston and Garcia have wrestled far better matches against different opponents. On Dynamite, Jericho backstage said he didn't come to save Kingston. He just wanted to hurt 2.0. So then 2.0 attacked him, threw Jericho into a road case and hit him with a chair. This is a legend, Chris Jericho, being beat down by 2.0 and Danny Garcia. It just, to me, came across as pathetic. Sure, it was three on one. Technically, there's nothing wrong with that. But I didn't like the way it kind of came across. It just, it seemed weird. It seemed weak. 
uh, Jericho Kingston as a tag team. Why is that the case? I don't really know. I'm just sure it'll happen. So that's what's going on. And then lastly on AEW, Wardlow fought AC Austin. This dude had a Captain America shield tattooed on his elbow. I mentioned that because I have nothing else to say about this. Um, Wardlow just powerbombed his ass a couple times and got the squash. Spears then destroyed a chair over the kid's back. No one came out to help the kid. No one came out to confront Wardlow or Spears. I'd love a real Wardlow storyline and feud. Maybe we're going to get it with Punk and MJF in the ring. Maybe. I also could just be completely pulling that out of my ass and that is not at all their plan. So my only memory of Wardlow at this point in his AEW career, true memory, is the match with Cody Rhodes, the steel cage match. Other than that, it's just been forgettable, even though he shows, continues to show an absolute ton of promise. So that was this week in AEW. Like I said, uh, there was good stuff across both shows, um, entertaining product, as always. This week just didn't hit for me the way that prior weeks have. And I think that's okay. Holiday week, you're also coming out of a pay-per-view. You're kind of just getting started on your storytelling, getting into the next pay-per-view, which is still basically three months away at this point. So you're allowed a down week. I don't think that's um, a major, you know, negative mark um, on AEW or a black eye or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, if I'm going to go ahead and watch three hours of wrestling, just like with Raw, you know, uh, if I'm going to watch three hours of AEW and I did it in succession on Wednesday, I watched it one hour, I watched Rampage and then Dynamite back to back. You kind of want it to be a little bit better than this was. So good show, not a great show. Um, as I said, NXT War Games, really good go-home show. Just it, it just exceeded my expectations. And I am intrigued about whether War Games can actually deliver on Sunday. So yeah, that's today's show. I, I appreciate all you guys listening. A reminder, of course, that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Defy. So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love this show. All of those ratings and reviews, they greatly help us move up charts, get more people listening. And that is the goal, to get more people to listen to Getting Over. Also, do not forget words of mouth. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone in your life who likes wrestling. They should listen to Getting Over. Please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We did hit that 1,000 follower mark. And then someone unfollowed us. So now we're at 999. Not great. Folks, I know how many of you listen to the show. Okay, I know, I'm assuming almost all of you are on Twitter. And I know how many followers we have. The numbers are not close. There's way more listeners than followers. So please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Again, as far as the schedule that's to come, we will be back on Sunday as soon as NXT War Games goes off the air for an instant analysis. Once again, we will not have these special Twitter spaces pre-show. Unfortunately, it's going to be a very busy day in my work life. I'm not going to be able to get that done. It is another NFL Sunday as well. It just makes it very difficult when it's not an AEW or WWE event. Um, you know, that, that's a big one to ensure we get that done during football season and while a lot of other stuff is happening. But I do hope that our next one of these, um, the, the Twitter pre-shows on Twitter spaces, we should be able to do one for day one, WWE pay-per-view on January 1st. But we have so much content coming in the month of December. I think you guys are going to be okay without one live show. Maybe we'll even figure out one or two live Twitter spaces shows not related to pay-per-views that we can throw in over the course of this month. That could be pretty exciting. Anyway, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Do not forget to be back Sunday night for NXT War Games Instant Analysis. And for just myself, 
the Silverton. I'm going to leave you now with three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>